Buying clothes has never been easier. 80 billion items are manufactured every year. We're putting too much product out there. Most of that product ending up in landfill. My name is Selena and I'm the founder and CEO of Recloseted. Selena Ho, one of the most ambitious fast fashion disruptors in the world. Recloseted is the first one-stop consulting agency for sustainable fashion and we are on a mission to transform the harmful fashion industry. So yeah, it's, it's just crazy. Like if you Google some of the images, it's just mountains and mountains of clothing and people just trying to deal with it. And it's so unfair, right? Like us and the global mailers, so like we can't deal with our own, I don't know if I can swear, but like our own junk. And so we send it down to the South and we let them deal with it. And that's just so unfair. Do you think there's ever going to be a change to this business model where perhaps a more sustainable version of fast fashion might overtake the current model? I mean, it depends, right? Like. Hey, Selena, thanks so much for coming on. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Typically, Selena, I tend to ask how was someone's earlier beginning and how everything started. But I don't want to ask you because as I was doing research and was listening to your podcast, um, you're talking about how you were recording podcasts in bed and was kind of feeling down. And I really just want to ask you, how are you? Oh, that's so sweet. I'm doing much better. Thank you. I think right now, especially like coming back to Vancouver and London's kind of similar, but it's like very gray. And like mm -hmm. with the season change, I think a lot of people are feeling like a lack of motivation. Um, so I'm actually talking about on my podcast next week about like how you can reinvigorate your passion for your business and what you're doing, even if you're in school or, um, you know, you're working nine to five job. It's just about figuring out your why and your passion. And I really tapped into that this past week. So I'm feeling a lot better. So thanks for asking. That's really sweet. Did, did you always have that that innate ability to um, rethink and reshape your perspective? Even listening to a lot of what you say and, and what you did, you do seem to have that ability of, let me take a pause, rethink about everything, change my perspective. And now that allows you to feel better whatever is that does that stem from something in your childhood were your parents like that i would say i'm definitely more of a positive or optimistic person and so maybe that's something you're born with maybe it's not i don't know we can talk about that but i also feel like i've just been faced with a lot of challenges throughout my life and i think everyone is but who you become through those challenges and like the resiliency you build and how you can overcome it like that's something that sticks with you forever so um, like, again, like everyone's had challenges in their lives, but if you can just take that as an opportunity to improve yourself, develop skills, build up that resiliency that forms you into the person you can become. And so I think a lot of it is just like mm -hmm. dealing with a bunch of stuff, both personally in my career and business. And then that's just helped me develop that muscle of being able to rethink things and being able to look at things in different perspectives. Growing up, what do you think your biggest challenge was? Like, do you have a particular story about, like, the biggest challenge you face or, like, any recent challenges? Yeah, I mean, growing up, people face a lot of different challenges, right? I think for me specifically, um, just, like, feeling like I fit in, I always felt kind of different. Um, so I was born and raised in Vancouver, uh, but my parents immigrated here from Shanghai, and so... I think there was always a bit of that, like, I feel like I want to be part of, like, my heritage, but then also, like, acclimate to this Western world. So there's always a bit of that. 
Um, and then because my parents immigrated here, they had to like work really hard and they taught me like, you know, never take anything for granted, work really hard, hustle, all that. And I learned that from a really young age. And I think so just being in that environment where you just feel like you never fit in and also you feel like you're always kind of hungry, I think shaped a lot of who I am today. And, you know, some of it's healthy, like a healthy amount of motivation and some of it can be like kind of that toxic hustle culture. So like still trying to balance it. But I would say those are a couple of things that kind of sparked uh, just like who I am today and the things that came to my mind when you asked that question. I was re reading a book recently, Selena, about someone's self-story and how important it is. It was from Stephen Barlett, the host of Diary of a CEO. And he spoke about this concept of self-story, saying that every day there's small actions we do, whether it's going to the gym, doing that extra rep, eating that bit healthier. There's a thousand decisions we do every day. And he had this concept that someone's self-story is your ability to, when you need to do that extra rep at the gym, when you need to eat that bit healthier, where you need to study that one extra minute in for your exam, whatever it may be, you doing that, that consciously builds your confidence within you. And that's what kind of he refers to as his self-story. And you seem to have built that over the years. I remember, do you like point back to any moments in, you know, growing up where that was a, a key theme, kind of just, you know, whether you do that, just that extra bit that allowed you to have that confidence and you build upon that over the years? Yeah, I mean, I kind of talked about it earlier where it was like this muscle you build, right? And mm -hmm. and turn like every time you're faced with a challenge, if you can figure out a way to get over it, figure out a way to get support, figure out like how to get resources, you do build that trust in yourself because then you realize that like, you know, people can come in and let's say like take all your money away or people can come in and do all these things. But if you have the skills and you know you can fall back on that, that's the best insurance policy. So just really realizing that as you grow and develop and you gain those skills, you do develop that trust in yourself because you have that confidence that you're going to be able to figure it out. You're going to be able to get yourself out of any situation. So, yeah, like if anyone listening is going through a challenge or a struggle, just know that you're not alone and know that if you get through it, you're going to become a better person. That's, you know, that, that's typically generic advice in some way. Uh, I won't lie in saying that I have been, you know, I've heard that before, like a lot of times. Do you have like anything specific that you would do to get over things, or is it really just kind of allowing time to heal? Because sometimes I feel that a lot of people give that advice, but doesn't result in anything because it's not specific enough. And I'm just wondering, do you have anything specific that allows people to get through those tough times? Yeah, I mean, it depends, right? So if it's like, you know, if you're dealing with something that's like really traumatic, like grief, or you're dealing with like something with your relationship on your personal life, like I think leaning into like help from a help. I've had past experiences where I would just ignore it and just work and then it just never ends well. It kind of catches up to yourself. So definitely process what you need to process. But then on the same side too, like if it's not something that's, that's heavy and maybe you're just losing motivation or maybe there's something that, you know, you, you're lacking a skill set or something, then be proactive and go out there and talk to people that maybe are where you want to be or talk to people that maybe have gone through something similar and see like exactly what they needed or what they did to get to where they are. And just be really proactive about seeking things out. I think sometimes when people are in a rut, they tend to just ruminate in it and just continue to spiral. And that's just not healthy. You need to at some point pick yourself back up and ask for support either from friends, family, loved ones, or mentors, or like go and seek out mentors or resources 
uh, podcasts like this are great books like just there's so many resources i really think there's no not to go out there and like figure out how you can go from where you are to where you want to be and like tangibly like make that action step um and once you execute it in the process you get the skills that i was talking about and then you build that confidence in yourself do you ever like when going through the process of finding resources and trying to better yourself and knowing that you have to step back do you ever have like a period of time that you know that you must do this or do you continuously um like do self-help and read the books and talk to these people to like maintain your mental health yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I would love to sit here and tell you guys that every single day I'm like reading books, doing all this stuff, but it's mm. not realistic, right? And what I've realized about balance is that there's just seasons. So I firmly believe you can have it all, just not all at the same time. So there's seasons where I am with my loved ones more, I'm working on my mental health more. And then there's seasons where I'm just grinding and I'm working and that's literally my life. And I think you, it's okay if that's what it is because you're just dealt with what you're dealt with. And similarly with some of your listeners, right? Maybe a lot of the times you're studying, maybe a lot of the times you're on break and now you get to hang out with your loved ones. But it's really just around having just that check with yourself and knowing when things are a little bit too out of balance and you maybe need to step back a little bit or you need to dive into something else a little bit. But yeah, I mean, like tactically, I have always like a notes list on my phone. So whenever someone suggests like a podcast or book, I'll like write it down. And then when I do have time and space, I'll come back and I'll uh, dive in but yeah it's just like knowing there's seasons and then of course when something happens in your life and you need help then that kind of forces you to figure it out as well but just being flexible and just knowing that if something's important you should prioritize it and make time for it and yeah being okay with it and also being compassionate with yourselves and knowing that you can't do everything all at once i want to get into how you started recloseted because I understand that um, you were working at TELUS as a manager during the period of when you started recloseted, and you stuck to TELUS for a few more years before you finally took a leap of faith and decided to just focus on your own personal business. So did you, when the time came, did you know for certain that this was the way to go? Like, I'm going to make this leap of faith and everything is going to work out. And I won't regret anything looking back. Because I think even to, to that point, Brandon, I think something we often think about is, you know, why aren't we going, let's say, putting our 100% of our time, let's say, in this podcast, right? We, we seem to have having this plan Bs and the kind of we're mitigating it. And I'm definitely interested in Selena because I know you started your recloseted at the same time that you were still working. And at some point you made the switch to go full time. And so I think explaining that process could definitely help me and Brandon out kind of figure out some things that we're dealing with. I mean, both of you are still in school, so I'm yeah. yourselves on Slack. What you're doing is amazing. Uh, but for me, so just like a quick background story. So I graduated from Sauter. I specialized in marketing, and then I started a nine-to-five job. And I remember my experience at Sauter was very much so like get a nine-to-five job, climb the corporate ladder, mm. do all this stuff. And I think back when I was in school, entrepreneurship and startups wasn't as popular as it maybe is now. So 
it wasn't really in my mind that starting my own business would be an option so quickly out of graduation. And so um, that was one thing. And then the other thing was just kind of like the financial stability piece, right? Like coming from immigrant parents, it's like, okay, yeah, if we went to business school, now you should get a nine to five job. So I did that. And I remember the first six months to a year, I really liked the job because I was learning so much and it looked good on paper. And you know, you know what I mean? It's all those things that people think they care about, but isn't actually important at the end of the day. Like, this looks good on my resume. This looks good on LinkedIn. My peers, like, respect me because I have this job, which, you know, news class is not really a thing. But yeah, so this, it was all, like, good for, like, about six months to a year because I was learning a lot. And for me, like, I'm very goals-orientated and that's really important to me. But then I remember distinctly one day I was in my cubicle and I was getting to work on this project that was going to have a really big impact on my company, but I just didn't agree with it personally. Like it was really about maximizing shareholder value and all this stuff. And I knew through the process I would learn a lot, but it just didn't align with my values. But I had to do it because it was my job. Um, And I just remember feeling like it was so pointless. Like, why am I showing up to work every day? Like, yes, I get a paycheck, but I don't really agree with what I'm doing. I don't really resonate with these values. So that started festering. And then um, after that, too, I stopped learning as much in my job. And so I wanted to try to do something outside of work that would reinvigorate my passion for what I was doing, because my career has always been very important to me. And so I started like kind of tinkering around with a bunch of different things I could do. I started thinking about it. Um, and then one day at work, I was wearing a blouse and it was like a polyester blouse, but I didn't really think too much of it. And I got a skin rash. And so I was like, what is going on? And I realized it was because it's polyester. And so for your listeners that don't know this, polyester is made out of crude oil, uh, which is awful. And I have pretty sensitive skin. So it kind of explained that. And that probed me to just learn more about the fast fashion industry. I watched The True Cost, which is an amazing documentary. Everyone should watch it. Um, but it's such a powerful documentary. Like they talk about everything in the fashion industry from like the unethical labor to the harmful materials to all the millions of tons of textile waste going to our landfills every single year. And so it's really heavy and it's quite honestly quite depressing. And so I sat in it for a month, like going back to kind of when you are dealing with something, like how do you get out of it? I was just like really down for a month because I felt like this was such a big deal that no one was talking about it and people only see the glitzy and glamorous side of the fashion industry. So I kind of sat with it. And then one day, um, a couple of friends of mine, they knew a local brand owner and they were saying that they were struggling and needed some help. And so I was like, okay, why don't I reach out to them and work with them for free and see like if I like it and if it's good for them. And it turned out to be the best thing ever. Like I loved working with them so much and they got really great results. And we were supposed to do like a three month pro bono contract. And then at the end of it, they were like, oh my God, how do we continue to work with you, Selena? And then, yeah, that just sparked the light bulb moment. I was like, I should work with brands. And so I did it after my job because for me, like that financial stability piece was quite important to me. And you know, it's Vancouver's an expensive city. So a lot of my friends still have side hustles, still have like multiple things going on. And I think that's like the beauty of a city like a Vancouver or a New York or a London. Um, but yeah, I, di- I just did both. And it was a lot. I'm not going to lie. Like I would work nine to five and then I would work on my business from six to like 12. And then I would usually work Sundays um, and try not to work Saturdays, but maybe like a Saturday afternoon. But yeah, I did that for like three years. So yeah. I know that was a long ramble, so I'll let you like ask any like follow-up questions or anything like that. 
Yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned there, Salia. You go kind of from, you say, oh, I realized I had a rash on my skin. I started this business and I dedicated my whole time to it. It seems like there's a there's a gap there. Um, and I'm wondering why that specifically? I mean, there's so many issues in the world, but sure, like the rash is a kind of personal connection, but I'm, I'm sure there's something within you that connected you even more towards fashion specifically. I don't know if maybe it was that feeling of guilt because you said you were, you know, an avid user of fast fashion before. So I don't know, is there a guilt component to it, which made you feel a stronger sense of connection towards this this purpose? Yeah, so the other side of the story is my mom. So she studied fashion design mm -hmm. in Shanghai and she started her own silk scars line. But then when she immigrated to Canada and got pregnant with me and then subsequently my sister, she kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, put her career on hold to raise us. And so I've always felt like, it, not just, you know what I mean? Like I want to do her proud and she's always taught me mm -hmm. everything she knows about fashion. So I grew up kind of like, really interested in fashion, knowing about it. And I've, you know, done fast fashion thing, like purchase fast fashion. It's always been a part of my life. So seeing that other side of fashion that people don't talk about, it just really sparked that passion in me. And it, it was that moment where I knew that this is what I meant to do. And this is the industry I meant to play in. So yeah, I think it was just like a whole lifetime of participating in it on a certain angle and then seeing the other side of the table and recognizing like, wow, this is something that I want to work on. And the second thing was the problem-solving aspect to it, because sure, you can have this realization, oh, it's an issue, I'm more touched by it because, you know, you have that relationship with, with your mom from, that worked in the industry. But then you go the extra step, which most people don't take, and you say, hey, I'm actually going to solve this issue, or I'm going to try to solve this issue. Um, was that always a part of you? I think it's a part of everyone, if I'm being honest, but you just need to yeah. find something that you are passionate about and you feel like you've had the skill set to make an impact because everyone does something for a certain reason. And I think if you're interested in it enough and if you're passionate enough about it, you will do something about it. I mean, if I'm honest, there's so many things wrong with the world and I cannot like tackle all of it. There's things I look at and I'm like, oh, this is awful. Like, how can I try to help? How can I share? How can I raise awareness? But I'm not out starting businesses for everything. I think it's really because I really resonated with this and I'm just so deeply passionate about it. Selena, I think what you're doing with fashion is the future of fashion because one day or another, the planet's going to eventually run out of resources and sustainable fast fashion won't be a sustainable anymore. And I was reading your blog on Web3, blockchain, NFTs, and came across your solutions to fashion circularity. And one of the suggestions was adding traceability to the supply chain in which um, people will be able to figure out like where did all the resources that went into what I'm wearing come from. And I understand that countries such as like Sweden have implemented regulations around that, around transparency laws and whatnot. So from your personal opinion, do you see that Canada will head in this direction and implement laws like that? And why do, uh, if they do, do you think it would be an advantage to businesses? And why might some businesses not like appreciate this? Yeah, really good question. There's a lot there. So uh, just in case your listeners don't know, there's some really exciting legislation happening in the EU right now. 
And typically with these kind of sustainability green initiatives, the EU is way more in advance. So um, to kind of reference what you're saying, keep an eye on the space. I think the legislation is supposed to come out next year. They're in the process of making it. And the U.S. simultaneously is also making some legislation. They've had less time to think about it than the EU. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's all I'll say. Um, and I think for Canada, in regards to Canada, Canada will probably fast follow whatever the U.S. does, right, if we're being honest. I do think there's going to be legislation all over the world coming up soon. It's just we're in the process of making it right now. So it's really exciting and just seeing how it'll shape up. And in regards to what the legislation will look like, um, that's still being worked on. But one of the things that I'm really excited about is how brands are going to be able to market and talk about this stuff. Because right now, any brand can go out and say they're sustainable or that they're green or that they're conscious. And like, there's so much greenwashing going on, as you know. And so now they're going to be regulated. And if they want to say something like that, they have to prove it and they have to submit reports and things like that. So I think that's amazing. Um, but the one downside is that this is the first draft. So, you know, I was recently at a conference and one of the panels said something that was a bit scary, but they were like, at worst, this like doesn't do what it does that we want it to do, like brands fan loopholes, all this stuff. Like that's kind of like what happens. And then like at best, like it passes, but then, you know, small brands get harmed and they have to like, you know, it affects their businesses because they now have to figure out how to do all this. So we're very much so still in the process. At the end of the day, this is a really good thing that's happening and it's very long overdue. We're just seeing how it all shakes up, basically. I'd love to ask you, Selena, because I, I do believe this this is an issue. And I think there are so many issues in the world. And often the problem is we just don't talk about it and we don't spread awareness. So I want to, if I, if you were president of this world and you were giving this speech to every single person in the world, what are the consequences of fast fashion? Yeah, I mean, the consequences of fast fashion are huge, right? Like people just think of it as clothes and they just think of it as being glitzy and glamorous. But this is really problematic. Like there's so many stats out there talking about how harmful fast fashion is. But I'm going to just walk you through the supply chain, if that's okay. Because I think if you see the whole life cycle of how a clothes are made and how at every single point there's something that could go wrong, I think it really opens your eyes to how detrimental this entire thing is. Um, so starting off with the design process, like we're all wearing shirts today, someone designed it. And at that process, if they don't design it with the intention of it being worn a really long time, or they don't design it with the intention of being timeless, then that already from the get-go affects everything else. So right now, like there's a lot of trends and things like that. So try to buy timeless pieces. I think both of you are really stylish and you're wearing really timeless pieces, which is amazing, but it starts at the design stage. Um, and then when you go into sourcing materials, that's a whole other ballgame. So it's like, does the brand actually want to pay a little bit more for, you know, certain fabrics or are they going to use synthetic fabrics like a polyester? Um, so it's like that stage is important as well. And then the manufacturing stage too, right? So like who's actually making your garments? Are they being treated fairly? Are they being paid fairly? Like there's all that stuff. There's that social, um, social justice piece. And then once it's done being manufactured, it gets shipped to stores or shipped online and the consumers are buying it. And there's a stat that says that consumers on average buy 70 pieces of clothing a year, which is insane. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. But if you think of like socks, undergarments, like all those things, like it adds up, right? And so there's what, 7 billion plus people now? Like that's insane. So the consumption and then the piece that really gets me is the end of life. So 
not a lot of people talk about this, but when you're done with the piece of clothing, you would likely currently probably donate it. And unfortunately, with donation centers, a lot of them are overwhelmed and they can't get rid of it enough. So um, it's either that or like the piece is a bit broken. So a lot of it ends up being sent either to landfill or to the global south. And so there's an amazing um, organization, their nonprofit, they're called the Or Foundation. They do amazing work in Ghana. But Ghana's having this issue right now where there's just like mountains and mountains of clothing. It's all textile waste. It's all unusable. And the impact of that is obviously detrimental because their local economy, their textile economy is now basically obsolete because everyone is getting free clothes from the global north. And then also they're just left with all this stuff that they don't have the infrastructure nor the budget to deal with. So yeah, it's it's just crazy. Like if you Google some of the images, it's just mountains and mountains of clothing and people just trying to deal with it. And it's so unfair, right? Like us in the global north, so like we can't deal with our own. I don't know if I can swear, but like our own junk. And so we send it down to the south and we let them deal with it. And that's just so unfair. So yeah, that's like a quick high level overview. But you can see how at every single stage, there's just such an environmental impact. And there's also such a social impact as well. Uh, it, it seems like the issue isn't really affecting, you know, people in the Western world. It's more so affecting, you know, countries and their economies are collapsing because of this of this issue. Do you have any Stories that I remember when you were talking about the documentary earlier, you said you had this moment, you were completely depressed. Is there anything specific that hit you? You're like, okay, this is a way bigger issue than I ever thought. Yeah, I, it's a that's kind of a thing where like we're now seeing the effects of climate change and like climate mm. migration. But unfortunately, climate migration is happening typically in areas that are in the global south or like in Asia. And so we don't see it. And when we don't see it, we don't think it's, an issue, unfortunately, right? So that's why education and awareness raising is so important. But I think the textile-based piece really spoke to me because before I would donate clothing and I would kind of feel good about it because I thought it would go to someone in need or something like that. But to learn that donation centers are so overwhelmed and to learn that it's just rotting in our landfills or it's being you know, sent overseas to a country that can't deal with it, like that was really, really heavy for me. And the reason why I felt so depressed was because I felt like I couldn't do anything about it because I was just one person. And there's all these fast fashion brands producing so much stuff. There's like the, the fashion industry is such a big industry and there's so many complicated players and, you know, people in it. So it just felt like a really big problem. And I just didn't know how I fit into it. So again, kind of going back to what we talked about at the beginning, it's like sitting in it and then processing it and then seeing how you can make it better. Selena, I want to play devil's advocate for a moment. So fast fashion, it's been super profitable. And if I was H&M or Unico, um, like companies have a responsibility, especially in America, to maximize their profits. And in economics, we're normally taught that it's the cheapest clothing that typically gets sold. And I believe the reason why fast fashion has been so successful in the recent years is that the clothes are cheap and they're trendy and um, they feel pretty much like all the other clothes out there. So do you think there's ever going to be a change to this business model where perhaps a more sustainable version of fast fashion might overtake the current model? Yeah, it's a really good discussion, right? Like to your point, the business model needs to change, right? Right now, companies are rewarded for producing 
as much as possible. It's like a unit quantity play versus a quality play. So obviously in that game, you produce more and then you make more. Um, and so that needs to change. And there's a few ways it can change. Like the first one is legislation, right? Like if they're being forced to change, like we talked about um, with all the legislation coming down the pipeline. The second one is consumer demand, right? If consumers now care about this stuff and they're starting to move their dollars away from fast fashion brands, then the brands that used to have really strong, um, just like really strong customer bases or really strong market share, like they may see that and realize that they need to change. Um, and then the last one that's exciting is kind of the future of our clothing. So um, we kind of talked a little bit about like blockchain, but if let's say your shirts could go on the chain and you could resell it once you're done wearing it, um, and then the brands could get a kickback that would incentivize brands to create something that is high quality, timeless and intentional from the beginning. So versus um, today where they're just only getting money for that initial sale, maybe they can continuously get sales in the future. So there's a lot of different uh, like ideas floating around right now, but I do think the business model to your point needs to change fundamentally. And there's legislation, consumer demand, and also technology that can aid in that. If Selena, you and I, we were at a store at one of the big fast fashion brands out there, and I was about to pick up a, a shirt that was cheaply made. What would you say to me? I mean, it depends, right? Like, I know that sometimes people's financial situations are different and, you know, there's that in mind. But I would say first and foremost, if you don't need it, don't buy it. Like you save your money and you also don't contribute to the problem. But then second of all, if it's something that is like thriftable, like if you're looking for a really cool denim jacket or like a really cool pair of jeans, like spend the time to find something secondhand that can be really unique. And then third of all, if you are looking for like a really good black t-shirt or a really good jacket and you know you want to wear it for years and years to come, like maybe save up your money and support a local brand that you know like like aligns with your values. I think I would say that. It really depends on what you're trying to buy, but just keeping that in mind. And at the end of the day, if you do buy something from a fast fashion brand, that is okay. You're not going to like not going to disintegrate, but I think it's it's more so just about being intentional with what you buy, taking care of it, and ensuring that you see yourself wearing it at least like 50 times. And Selena, as a final question for you on this podcast, we'd like to get your thoughts on a quote left by the previous guest. And this quote comes from a CEO in the tiny island of Mauritius. And I believe what he mentioned is, very relevant to recloseted. And the quote goes, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. I don't believe in circumstances. The people who get in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want. And if they can't find them, make them. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that uh, to an extent. I think everyone is born differently, right? Like different race, different gender, all that stuff. And you're just dealt with the cards you're dealt. And I think a lot of people sometimes like to fall into the mentality, if something doesn't work, it's because of X, Y, and Z. But yes, and, and I like to think of it like, yes, but how can I continue though to push myself? How can I continue though to go after it? And then when you do succeed, you become an example to other people that are similar to you, right? Like other female entrepreneurs or other people that are like not, you know, of certain races. So I think it's making what you can with it and going 
um, after it and just, yeah, seeking your own opportunities, but also making sure that you know that for the people behind you too, like you mentor them, you inspire them, and you continue to bring them along too. Yeah, thank you so much just for educating us, Selena, on, you know, what is happening and also that there's hope that something can be done as well. I think that's the important thing when you raise awareness. You want to give that sense of hope at the end so people can act on that hope as well. So thanks so much for that. Yeah, of course. Thank you for listening and for giving me the platform to share.